There you go. Well, now I guess we can move on. Because now we've understood the gospel. Works a lot like gravity. A couple of things. That little statement, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in it might not perish but have everlasting life, is a core reality of the human condition, whether I prefer it or not. I might say I don't like the fact that there's a God. I might prefer that there's not. Now, we could argue about that, but I might say it doesn't fit my personal preferences. I could often say I don't like the fact that this gospel seems to say that only Jesus can die for my sins. That doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair that God only presented, apparently, one way to have a relationship with him. I think there should be more ways. With all due respect, that theoretically might be true that there are many ways, but what I prefer has absolutely nothing to do with what is. Now, I'm not trying to impugn your preferences. We have them. All of us have them. There's nothing wrong with having them. What we have have to realize is they are just that, preferences. I'll be honest with you. I'd prefer not to be fallen. I'd prefer not to have cyclical patterns in my life that are disruptive. I'd, I'd really prefer you not to have them even more than me. But that's not the world I live in. And my preference for that has absolutely nothing to do with reality. You see, we tend to view religion, and even the word, I mean, we say religion, you go, oh, religion. Spirituality, that's, that's a, it's a more 21st century. Spirituality. We tend to view spirituality as a smorgasbord. It's all about preferences. I like that. I don't like that. I like that. No, no, just a little bit of that. Oh, little, oh, lots of that. The love of God, lots of that. Let's bring that center stage. Now, here, if none of it is true, if none of it matters, if it's just a menu at a restaurant, it, is, it makes really no difference to anything in the grand scheme of anything if you go to a Chinese restaurant and only choose one from column A. It doesn't matter if you choose chow fun or... Mongolian noodles. If it's just a matter of personal preference, pick what you want. And if that's all spirituality is, is there isn't anything true or real. It's just a matter of personal preference. Pick whatever you want. If there's something real, if there's actually a state in our universe that we live in that corresponds to reality, then we need to know that. Our preferences at that point are just that. Preferences. And see, the, the gospel, the Christian story, presents itself before us by saying, you were made for God. You were made in His image and you have fallen from what you were made. And I can get you back. I can get you back to everything that you were meant to be. I can give you forgiveness. I can give you freedom. I'm giving you a way back through Jesus. Now, we'd say, wait, wait. Through Jesus? You know, I didn't grow up with that sort of teaching. My personal background is 
pick it. I don't really care. My personal background is not believing. And so I can look back and go, you know, that's fine that Jesus says that, but I didn't grow up with that. So is it my fault that I don't believe it? Well, yes, no, and who cares? It doesn't matter whether I'm to blame if the story of Christianity is real then yes, are there obstacles in terms of what I was taught or how I was brought up or what I have seen? Absolutely. Just as there isn't grasping anything that's real. But my difficulty in grasping it has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not it's real. And understand this, in this series, understand this, Christianity presents itself as not a philosophical option that you can choose from. Of course it's your choice. It's always our choice. But it presents itself as saying, this is real. There's God. There's you. There's a gap. We can bridge it. Got to come through Jesus. He's going to forgive your sins. And then we're going to start a whole new, ramped up you. Transformed into who you were always made to be. That's the plan. That's reality. For some of you, that will be the question that hits the entire time in this series. That will be the question. Do I believe this is real? Do I believe this is just another philosophy or do I believe this is real, the actual thing? And if so, that will be the place where you need to deal with it. All I would say to you is this. Always be your choice. Be aware of your preferences. But know they're simply that. And ask this question through this series. Is this real? If so, then i got to do something with it. The gospel's simple. It's real regardless of what my preferences are. It's also, though, fundamental to all of our life. It's not simply asking God for forgiveness and stopping there. The gospel, the core concepts of Christianity are fundamental to all of how we live our life. And let me explain it to you this way. Let me explain to you, I know, through bobsledding, because I know you were thinking, I believe you can bl- explain this through bobsledding, and I can. See, I know things that no one needs to know, and you do too. I know some of the rules of curling. I, I know curling exists. Who needs this? I know the stones. I know they're called stones. I know they're made in Scotland. I don't know why, but I do know they're made in Scotland. I know that a curling match is done in 10 ends. I know what an end is. It's an inning. Just follow the baseball rules. I know it takes an awful long time, and there are brooms. I also know how to drive a bobsled. Do you know how? Last night I was watching bobsledding. And as we were sitting there, we were thinking, how do they drive those things? And so I did what many of you would have done. I grabbed my laptop and I Googled. And this is what I Googled. How to steer a, bob, a, bo, uh, a bobsled. And there it was. On a, on a site called How to Do Stuff. No joke. So I pull it up and there's a picture. It's like a cutaway picture of a bobsled. And it's, this is how you drive bobsled. There's, there's little handles. In the front guy, the pilot, he has handles, and those handles are attached to cables that are on pulleys that steer the runners. So I know how to drive a bobsled. Except I don't know how to drive a bobsled. I know it. I can tell you what you do. You, if you want to go right, you pull that one. It turns it that way. Left, you pull that one. 
my guess is, and this is not like some crazy guess, my guess is if I got in a bobsled and tried to drive it, very quickly we'd know that I don't know how to drive a bobsled. I would hurt myself. I can't do it. I, I, we very often, in this culture, in our society, we think knowing something is having the information. I got the information. I know how to drive a bobsled. And then we move on to the next thing. Because now I've got to learn how to throw a curling rock. Yeah, stone. And got to learn how to say the right equipment. It strikes me that the gospel is very similar to that. I know the gospel. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Boom, there we go. Let, next. Well, let me walk through a few things. I know that the gospel teaches me I shouldn't live my life by comparing myself to other people. I know that. Do I, know how, do I know how to actually avoid the trap of comparative living? To not live my life based upon the power I've given someone else to determine what's good and what's best for me? I don't know. I know I shouldn't. I know the, the gospel teaches me I shouldn't worry about things I can't control. But what about angst? Do I know where that comes from? Angst is the fancy Scandinavian concept for worry that I don't know where it comes from. It's nameless gnawing. Do I know why I have angst? Do I know how to get rid of it? Do I know how to move away from that? I know that if I overvalue who I am, that that's a bad thing. But how do I live my life in such a way that I don't succumb to the notion to overvalue who I am and so become a person of entitlement and arrogance? I know I shouldn't undervalue myself. Somehow I should have balance here. And yet, do I know actually how to live my life in such a way that I don't become a person who refuses to express desires and wants, and so I become passive-aggressive. Do I know how to find consistent joy in my life? I know the Bible says the gospel will bring me joy. Do I know how to find joy? Do I know where to find significance and relevance? Do I know where peace is found? Do I know how to live responsibly? Do I know how to live with security? Do I know how to care for others? Do I know how to live outside of myself? Do I know how to put to death selfishness? Do I know how to live nobly? I know how to live those things all too often like I know how to drive a bobsled. I can quote you. Why? Do I know how to live this way? Ah, that's another question. I say without fear of contradiction... The gospel addresses every one of those issues I just mentioned. Next week, we'll discuss how does the gospel teach you to avoid the trap of comparative living. The gospel actually has deep truths in it that if we take them farther, shape how we actually live, not just the knowledge we have in our head. I will tell you a secret. I, when I enter a room and I'm looking for my seat, I look for the escape route. It's true. When I get into an airplane, I want to sit in the aisle. When I get in a movie theater, 
I want to sit in the aisle. I want an escape route. Now, it's because of my knees. That's not true. It's because maybe I'll have to go to the bathroom during the middle. Okay, that might be true, but that's not really true. Why am I looking for an escape route? Because quite honestly, I would prefer to live my life by skipping over the edge and moving on. Trap of comparative living. Let's not compare myself to others. Okay, God, let's move on. No, no, no. Maybe we ought to figure out more why. No, let's move on to the next issue. Hey, let's talk about curling. We have been, I think it's always part of the human condition, but in Western American culture, particularly in the last 50 or 60 years, we put everything so fast that we think knowledge, that we think growth is involved in knowing a lot of things about that deep. And so God says, it's just, let's sit here for a bit. Let's talk about what the gospel does to free you from fear. Let's not memorize the verse and move on. Let's not quote a couple of phrases. Let's actually take this deeper. Let's understand how to build skyscrapers, not just that a bottle falls to the ground. I'll be honest with you. I prefer to skip on. I prefer to move on to the next thing. You can even notice this if you dissect my messages. Often I have to pull myself back because I'll move on. Next. I feel like Bartlett in West Wing, the president. What's next? Next. Got that. Move on. I will say this as uh, gently as I can. We don't have this yet. The gospel, the fundamental truths of Christianity are meant to be the defining reality of how you live your life. And they affect everything. See, there are certain core things that are true about Christianity. One of them is, Christianity is a return. Like the line of the song, this is the answer to the question that Steve posed. How did you get so far from home, dear? How did we get so far away from who we thought we were supposed to be? Because the whole story of the gospel is a story of return. It's a story of going back to who we were made to be. Well, that has massive implications for our life. It means I'm not trying to become something that never was, which leads me that there's no end to it. How do I know if I've ever gotten there? I don't. I just keep... How do I know there's actually anything to be that's worth being? Well, because the gospel is a return to who you were always meant to be. It's an actual thing out there that God knows it can take you to. And there's a destination of value and of meaning, of nobility. The reason why you have feelings of grandiosis within you is because you are a noble creation. It's an actual thing. The gospel is a return to who you were meant to be. But it's a return in the midst of some other fundamental truths. One is that humanity has fallen. And that fallenness expresses itself in two broad categories. We live as orphans. As people who don't get our connection to others. An orphan must live their life fending for themselves because nobody has their back. 
one of the fundamental breaches in humanity is this sense of ourselves as orphans, disconnected, and so I must, I have to look out for number one because nobody else will, unless they're only doing it to gain an advantage as well. Core concept in the human condition. Fallenness breeds a feeling of being an orphan. Fallenness also breeds a feeling of lostness, a feeling that the pillars, the anchors, those things that tether me to something solid are missing. To explore those two aspects as they play out in your relationships, in your quest for success, and your desire for purpose is to understand how to live life well. To skip over them with the quick phrase that people are falling. Yeah, we're all falling. We're only human. Next. We'll leave all of us with shallow lives that skip along the service of deep truths. One of the more one of more deep, one of the deeper books I've read, which I actually didn't make as a resource because the writing is kind of dated. It was, it was written in the 60s, and it's really funny. Like things written in the 1800s sometimes don't feel as dated as things written in the 1960s. Sort of the trendy thing, you know. Francis Schaeffer wrote a, wrote a book called True Spirituality, and it's a, it's in my opinion, it's a brilliant book that just he essentially says this: you got to understand three things: life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If you understand those and apply those into your life, you'll know everything you need to know. They will shape everything. The fact that there is a God who came to earth and who exists as he does. The fact there is a God who treasured you enough to die for you. And what that means that it required death in order to make you alive again. And the fact that he rose again offering something brand new in terms of life. These three things shape everything. And so in the midst of this series, we will stop. We're taking away the escape route. For some of you, you are excited. For others of you, you're going, oh my, look at the time. You don't have to, and I don't have to, take fundamental truths about God and me and the world deeply. We don't. Like, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't need to know anything else about a bobsled. I don't. I know all that I need to know. I've satisfied my curiosity. The only way I need to understand these concepts deeper is if I'm going to drive a bobsled, which I'm not. And so, for you and I, we don't have to take these concepts deeper unless we actually want transformation. If you want to just not know that you're not supposed to compare yourself to other people, but actually see your life change, to know in the ancient Near Eastern sense of experience, to know how not to live a life of comparison, then you have to go deeper. If you want to know how to find contentment in the midst of chaos, then you've got to go deeper. And so my question, my homework, we have a new assignment. We've already, you've already got the first one done. This is your assignment. A, a number of years ago, as we began Lent, we, we built a Zen garden with two rocks in it. And in the midst of that, we said two things. I want you to focus on two things that you're asking God to change in your life. This is my question to you throughout this series. If there could be one thing that you could return to. If there was one dream of you that you would love to see happen, what would that one thing be? 
that one thing might be so tender that it'll be difficult to articulate to somebody else? Is there one thing you could return to? At the end of these 13 weeks, you wouldn't go, I've got some new information, but you'd go, I understand how central fundamental truths about God and about me have changed this thing. That'd be a huge win. It'd be a far bigger win for all of us than getting some new information. As we go into the remainder of the service, I'm asking you to pose that question to God. God, what's the one thing? What's the one thing that I would love to see myself return to? That one thing that I've always felt to be true of me, but has not been able to break through. Make that the one thing you're asking God to change you throughout this series. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge we're a, we're a people of preferences. It's actually good. We like things and we don't like things. And it breeds a lot of enjoyment in our life to prefer things. But we don't want to live the core of our life based upon what we like and what we don't like. We want to live it based upon things that are real that we incorporate into our lives in such a way that we are actually reshaped. I would pray for each one of us through the course of this 13 weeks that you would speak to us and that you would show us real equipment for living out of the core, the next 12 core concepts we will talk about in the gospel. Show us both its simplicity and its depth for our life. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I, I invite you in as we take this time of worship begun with our offering, which is a place where we offer ourselves simply.